acknowledge, Lord, this great event that happened so long ago that continues to change lives today. And so, Father, I just pray that you would bless us in and through your word. And as you do, Father, you would prepare us for every good work. And so, Lord, once again, just meet us in this place that you'd be glorified through our humble lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell him, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Jim. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, and as you're turning there, we're having a bit of an abbreviated service today to get you on your way and on your day. Uh, A lot of churches canceled service today, but we just think it's appropriate to worship the Lord on this day that we celebrate his birthday. Um, Praise God. Anyway... Uh, As far as announcements, just a couple of things. We are not having service tonight. We're canceling our service tonight so that we can go off and be with family and friends. Our next service will be Thursday evening here at 7 o'clock, our usual midweek. We'll be back in the Gospel of John. And by the way, we are having our men's study uh, Wednesday morning here at 6.30 in the morning. And then next Sunday, again, we still have a holiday schedule in that we're going to be on New Year's Day, or is that New Year's Eve? New Year's Day, we're going to be celebrating uh, with our usual year in review. I'll be giving a prophecy update, and then tamales, because that's how all that works. Uh, So Frank and I, we usually make an early morning run up to L.A. He's got some places there. So I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, we drive up there, and we get tamales. We'll have about 12 dozen tamales just to be able to foster a time of fellowship. Um, Also, we had a fundraiser last week during our Christmas program for high school, and you can see it in the bulletin, but we were able to raise over $900 for the high school retreat. That was a blessing, yeah. So what else? Um, One last thing, Uh, you know, just a joyous day, and again, most of us will be with family and friends. Uh, Just one one, uh, item that we need to pray for. Our, our bass player, Bill, is in the hospital uh, just with a health concern. Um, they're running tests and whatnot. So we just need to lift him up in prayer. His wife showed up here early this morning and talked with Paul, our worship leader, and told him what was going on. After service, I'm going to run over there. He's over here in Kaiser in Ontario. I'm going to run over there and pray for him. But let's go ahead and lift him up. Bill is uh, always back there playing bass. Most of you don't know this, because how would you? But on Friday mornings, about 9 o'clock, he shows up every single Friday, and he vacuums out the sanctuary. That's his ministry, and he's dedicated to it. So we need to lift him up in prayer. Let's pray. Father, I do lift up Bill, and I just thank you for his service, Father. But now we have the opportunity to, to give back. And so, Lord, we give back in our prayers that you would meet him, Lord, even on that hospital bed, that, Father, you would reveal yourself to him, and he would find peace even in his condition i pray for his wife that you would minister to her as well but lord we pray that you would release him that you would heal him sooner rather than later and father he would be back to full fellowship with us so we lift all to you thanking you lord for your goodness and graciousness pray father for your grace upon his life we ask in jesus name amen last sunday i got to see the baby not the one that was born in a stall some 2,000 years ago, 
but the one that was born in the state of Washington a couple of months ago. Last week in our evening service for Sunday night, we had a movie, and so after I got the movie going, I cut out of church. I ditched church last Sunday, or at least the movie, and I went back home because my grandson, my seventh grandson, for the first time was in my house. It's the first time I, I got to behold him, the first time I, I got to see him. Now, this one, number seven, it's so easily to fall into routine. It's the second for my daughter, Jamie, and her husband, Chris. But when you look into the face of a child, regardless, there's an excitement there. It's just the knowledge that contained in that little burrito wrapping of a child is someone special and somebody who is very unique. There's a little body that will grow up based upon God's plans and specifications. There's a personality that will be like no other, directed by the Lord for the purpose of giftings and abilities. There's a calling that God has upon Chris Mike's life, that God will use him for his glory. Others of late have experienced the same blessing. The Turins, they got a new grandchild. Uh, Suzanne White, the other day, I think it was Friday, got a brand new great-grandchild. Matt and Sarah, they're looking forward to the birth of their baby, and I just know that there's probably some others out there that I'm either unaware of or forgetting. But a commonality is when you look at that child, there's just that excitement, but there's also that knowledge, the knowledge that God's still got a plan that God's still bringing people into this, into this world. And we can look at the world and we can discuss how bad it is and we can look at all the depressing headlines and all of these things, but it doesn't matter. God is still in control. He's still seated upon the throne. God's still bringing the future generations into this, into this world because there is a still a future and a hope in the Lord Jesus Christ and what God wants to accomplish and see hope Hope is trusting in God for the future. And we trust in the Lord. And again, it was just as evil times back in the birth of Christ in that during that day, Israel was under Roman occupation. And you can look at that and you can think of the, of the difficulty that was going on then and the hopelessness. But again, with God, there's always hope. And so our hope is in the future generations as we train them up and the way that they should go, that they would glorify the Lord, and we would see God do at least one more great revival. But why are we gathered here today? It's because of the plan that God had for mankind through that baby that was born in Bethlehem so long ago. And so really what I want to do is I just want to take this time out in our busy schedules here today to come here and to gaze into the eyes of this child. Biblically speaking, to see what the Bible has to say about that, that baby who was born, but also went on to die for the sins of the world. So really, I want to gaze into the face of the Christ child. And the progression of things at the beginning, it was just Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph, and then in Luke chapter 2, we see that there were angels and shepherds. I'm sure there were probably many others, and there were went to be family and friends and so on and so forth. But sometime within about the first two years of his birth, there were some out-of-town visitors, and that's what we see in Matthew chapter 2. They more than likely didn't come to the stall where he was born, but the place that they were staying in Bethlehem, again, sometime within the first two years of his birth. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says... 
now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judah, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Skipping down to verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Looking upon this child, they know, they knew, they knew that they had found the king. They had coronated him with these gifting of gifts, gold, that which is sufficient for a, for a king. Frankincense is the incense of a priest, and that Jesus is the great high priest. And then myrrh, once again, that which anoints a body for burial. But what we must consider is, what kind of king is this? Again, just think of it. These are these men that, that, that traveled for, for so long. They had seen a star, and God revealed that. It's what we discussed last night, pointing towards this one particular event. And there they are. They arrived at the place, and they're looking into the eyes of this child. What is it that they're really seeing? Well, again, they're seeing a king. We see that, but there's been many kings. In the Bible, we see the first king mentioned is Melchizedek. He's the king of peace, and as we're told, the writer of Hebrews tells us, he's a type of Christ. We're told of a dedicated king in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. When he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom he also gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all of my will. There are too many places to mention as far as failed kings. The Bible speaks of many evil kings, but then we come now to the king of kings. The king of kings, the one who is going to make all the difference. Now, we've kind of experienced something similar, looking for a man who's going to make all the difference. Well, I should say a man or a woman in the past elections. But again, we so put these expectations on these people that they can't fulfill. They're going to fall short. But now we see these magi coming upon this king of kings, and as will be described later on, this Lord of Lords, the one who is going to change all of humanity as no other king could. Now, this was a king that was kind of different than most others. I don't remember where I got this description from, but I'll read it to you. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant. He grew up in another village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a home. He didn't go to college, never lived in a city, never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for his garments. The only property he had on earth when he was dead was laid in a borrowed grave, though through the pity of a friend. Twenty centuries have come and gone, and today he is the central figure of the human race. We are well within the mark when we say that all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all of the parliaments that ever sat, 
all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man on this earth as much as that one solitary life has. And he's been doing so. It's undeniable whether you believe in him or not, whether you believe in who he is, you cannot deny that he has changed the course of humanity for the last 2,000 years. Another unique feature, everything about the Lord from birth to death to his ascension speaks of exaltation through subordination. It's the idea of he coming as this humble servant so that his people would look upon them, that, upon him, that they would subject themselves to him. And even as he humbled himself, that we would truly be humble people. See, his kingdom is based upon power, but it's the power of meekness. It's the power of subordination. It's the power of humility. We're told in James chapter 4, verse 10, to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Unfortunately, we spend so much time trying to lift ourselves up, and we're humbled because of it. But again, the scripture tells if we will humble ourselves, he will lift us up. Why? How can we have a confidence in that? Because Christ showed the way. Christ showed the way. Now, I can ask you, why are you here today? And some of the answers could be, well, it's, it's Sunday or it, it's Christmas. But it's not just because of those events. It's got to be because it's a desire to worship the Lord. It's a desire not just to pay service to him, but an attraction because of what he has done in our lives and the desire to come forth and to worship them. Why would these magi, these wise men, why would they travel so far just to see a, another baby, even if that baby was to grow up to be king? Well, he's the baby that fulfilled the scriptures. This is God's will. As a matter of fact, it's not just God's will. This is God who has been revealed to mankind. Now, turn over in your Bibles to Philippians because we're going to gaze into the eyes of this child. We're going to look and see who this child was, this picture, this portrayal of him that started even before his birth. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. It reads, Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And so this portrayal has to start even before the day of his birth. So the first thing that we see in the birth of this child is the means that God has chosen to enter into the world. Now, this is the process that God used in what we call it is, is the incarnation of Christ. This is God becoming flesh. This is God in his humanity. Now, theologically speaking, Jesus Christ, he was fully God and fully man. Never at any point did he cease being God, but at some point he set aside some of his godly attributes so that he would come in a way that man would be able to perceive him. 
Now, the reason that God became man is many, but mainly, and this is something that the Lord has kind of showed me this Christmas season, not that I haven't seen it before, not that you haven't heard it before, but why was it necessary for God to become incarnate, for God to become flesh? Well, man, he's in a condition that he could do nothing about. It's the sinful condition that we are all born with, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we owe a great debt that we can never pay because, you see, sinful man cannot come into the presence of a holy God. There has to be a covering or even a doing away with for sin. Now, Israel, they leave Egypt so many years ago. And God is directing them, and God instructs Moses to build a tabernacle or a dwelling place because God desires to dwell amongst his people. These things are pointing towards Christ. And as he does so, it's necessary that God's people would keep himself pure. How long are you able to keep yourself from sin? Well, because man sins, because man fails, God devises the sacrificial system. It's the sacrificial system so that with the sacrificing of lambs and bulls and goats, with the shedding of their blood, man's sin can be covered. But again, the problem with covered sin, at some point, it can be revealed. But what was happening was, throughout all of those sacrifices, it was pointing towards the coming of the Christ, this Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. As the Bible says, he takes them away as far as the east is from the west. And as all you would need to do would be to believe in him. And so God, God needed to become flesh because the problem was there was not a sufficient sacrifice. You can sacrifice all the bulls and goats that you want, but it's not going to take away sin. If I tried to pay the price for my sin or you tried to pay the price for your sin, it would be eternity and you would never be able to completely pay off the debt. And so the only one who would be able to accomplish this through a supernatural act would be God himself. But there's an issue because the price to be paid for sin, the Bible tells us, Romans chapter 5, is death. And God can't die. There's a couple things that God can't do. He can't lie, we're told. He can't sin. And God, since sin has no effect upon him, God can't die. And so God, at some point, made the decision that he would become incarnate, that he would take upon himself his, this, this human nature so that he would be able to enter in, and then it would be possible for him to pay the price. And so looking into the eyes of this child, we know that God is with us so that one day we can be with God. This is that great present that God has given all of humanity in this child, that whoever should believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God gave of himself so that mankind could one day enter into glory and be with him for eternity. In Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28, it says, But Jesus called them to himself, his disciples, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom for many. And so here we have Christ, and we're told for this mindset to be in us. Christ who's God Almighty. He's humbled himself. 
and he's taken on flesh for the purpose of, well, yet while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. For the purpose of saving those people who are contrary to them. Are you able to have that mindset in you? Are you able for the glory of the kingdom of God to be able to humble yourself, especially in the face of those who would oppose you, especially in the face of those who would come up against you, to humble yourself for the purpose of their salvation? Well, that's what we're being told here in the book of Philippians. Again, verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form or the essence of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. So at no time did Jesus ever cease from being God, just as truly as I cannot cease from being half Italian and half Irish. I am what I am, and he is who he is. But again, he did enter into humanity. Secondly, the second thing that occurred on that first Christmas day is he made himself of no reputation. See, there's certain things that needed to happen as not only God became incarnate, but he also emptied himself of his reputation or set aside certain attributes of who he is. See, again, even the birth of Christ, it's all pointing towards the cross. God's got certain attributes that wouldn't suffice during Christ's time here on earth. The Bible tells us that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's everywhere all at the same time. I can't really explain that to you in detail, but it's a good thing he did. That's how I know, or that he is. That's how I know that he hears my prayers. Jesus, Jesus was obviously not omnipresent. He was where he was, and that's just what it was. But what it was is he was always headed towards that cross. That was the goal of this child. Well, that was the plan from the foundation of the world. So omnipresence, he set it aside. Omniscient, all-knowing. Well, God's word, the scriptures, were going to be enough. There were certain things when Christ was here that he didn't know. His disciples asked him when the end of the days were going to be, and he says, that's for my Father in heaven. Omnipotence, as far as being all-powerful, well, Jesus still did some mighty miracles, but the power of the Holy Spirit was good enough for him as he was here on earth. Holy Spirit is he who will empower man for the glory of God. And so you have God in heaven. He sees man's predicament. He's got a plan, and all of the Old Testament is working towards this one day when Christ is going to enter in. And he enters in, as so many others had entered in. Virgin birth, yeah, but still a natural birth, as all these other babies have entered in in the past. But again, this one child is going to alter the course of humanity. Again, this baby, this baby is God's plan revealed to mankind instead of what we must do for this child this child is going to do so much for us second corinthians chapter 8 verse 9 for you know the grace of our lord jesus christ that though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor and that you through his poverty may become rich next what we see is he took the form of a bondservant now, a bondservant in the scriptures is somebody who had been sold into a family as a slave, but they made the determination, even though at the point where they could be set free, that they love that family and they want to stay with that family. Well, here's Christ. He's willfully given of himself as a servant. 
And I see this not only upon the cross, but every day as he continues to work in our lives. He didn't just save us and set us on our way, but he's told us, I'll never leave you, nor will I forsake you. What Jesus did is he emptied himself of his godly attributes and filled himself with the attributes of a bondservant. Matthew 20, 28, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And so Jesus inwardly is God and also a bondservant, and he exhibited both realities during his time here on earth. And so again, Christ sets the example. He emptied himself of these godly attributes. We're to empty ourselves as well. And what do you fill that void with? He filled that void with a servant's attitude. Are you able to fill the void of your life if you truly have humbled yourself in the sight of God with a servant's attitude? Don't just answer that haphazardly because the cost is going to be great. Because what do we do when we make ourselves vulnerable to somebody else? We put ourselves at risk. We're concerned. What if they take advantage of us? What if they, and again, you can fill in the blank, well, Jesus was willing to do that. Are we willing to do that for the glory of God? Are we willing to do that to be used in the kingdom of heaven? Or is the pride still there? As the pride kills. Pride is the most original of sin that caused so much destruction, but it's as we humble ourselves and we become a servant in God's eyes that we are able to do so much. Look at it, how people approach you. If somebody approaches you in a prideful manner, are you going to be receptive of them? There's people in my life who have approached me in a very humble manner, and it's that which made all the difference. The fourth thing that happened on that uh, first Christmas, he came in the likeness of man. Verse 7, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Jesus met those whom he ministered to exactly where they're at and on their level. See, I was playing with my daughter Malachi, granddaughter Malachi this morning. Malachi is about a year and a half, and she likes to flirt a lot. And so she was laying there on the floor, and I asked her to give me a kiss, and she wouldn't. She was hiding her face from me. And she was kind of halfway crying, but it wasn't real because, well, that's just what she does. And so finally, if I wanted a kiss, I couldn't expect her to get up. She wasn't going to do it. I had to go down to her level. And as I got down to her level, that crying turned into laughing. And it was just, there's just the joy in that. And so I had to come down to a level in order to meet her where she is at. And so that's exactly what Christ did. He peered into humanity and, and met humanity where it was at. And again, as I've said before, it was a very confusing time. Human wisdom had gone to a place that, well, it was just futility. We see that in Acts chapter 17 when they were in the marketplace looking for something new to believe. It was at a time when Rome, Rome owned the world. But before Rome, Greece instilled that common language. And so there was a common language throughout the whole known world. And then again, they built a series of roads that led to Rome. Now, you had the Greek philosophers, and you can still look back on them today, but the reason it brought, was brought to a place of futility, because their philosophies could do nothing for mankind at that point where mankind so needed something to happen at the point of death. 
And so there was a series of philosophies that couldn't meet the needs of mankind. And it was at that fullness of time that God sent a savior, this little baby in an insignificant country during the time that God had anointed and appointed for all of humanity. And it's this child that chose 12 people who, if we were starting some sort of movement, we probably wouldn't choose. But God did, and he placed his spirit on them, and they changed the world. As the Bible tells us in the book of Acts, they set the world on its ear. And so we have Christ. He came in the likeness of men, although we're told in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And so it's once again God doing the supernatural by natural means. Again, you hold that child in your hands, and you look into the eyes of that baby, and you can see hope for the future. What is that child going to become? What is that child going to do? We have this great opportunity, once again, to have these things renewed within our heart. Again, these turbulent times that we live in, people protesting, even protesting elections and all of these things, this great upheaval that's going on. We've got all of these alphabet news agencies that are giving us news as it happens, and when there's no news happening, it seems like they even make stuff up anymore. And, and so you get all of this information instantly, and it can be depressing if you allow it to be. But again, God sent this Savior that we would realize it's not about this world, and it's not about this life. Now, it's important how we interact in this life, but it's all about the life to come. And God's got something better. It's the point that Paul was making in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 18, when he said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, you weren't there. You're not able to hold that baby and to look into the eyes of the Lord, such as the Magi, Joseph, Mary, the shepherds, or the angels, but we have something that is better. We've got the more sure word of God. We've got the word of God that we're able to meet Christ daily, to spend time with him and to be reassured that, well, this plan that God started is continuing to be worked out. The fifth thing that happened that first Christmas, or at least we see in this child, is that he humbled himself. Now, to kind of break this point apart in that it's important to know when he went to the cross, he was not humbled. He humbled himself. This is God's plan for the salvation of mankind. But I do see the example. As a Christian, you'll either be humble or you'll be made humble. To become humble, that's a choice that we make for the glory of God. To become humbled, well, that's a choice that God makes so that one day we would humble ourselves and glorify him. Six, the next thing that we see in this child he became obedient even to the point of death. Remember, it was that which grieved the heart of the Lord that he was, as he was there. Now, you have, again, Jesus Christ in his humanity. You have Jesus Christ in his deity. Now, in his deity, he's never experienced death. Why? Because he's never experienced sin. And so you have Jesus Christ who existed, we're told in John chapter 1, from the beginning. What does that word mean, that word beginning, arche in the Greek? It means forever in the past, eternity. God, who has never experienced sin, has that divine appointment upon the cross. Now, he has gone to the cross in obedience. Now, we see in the Garden of Gethsemane, remember, it says that he sweated blood, and his heart was grieved. 
His heart wasn't grieved just simply because he was going to the cross, not just simply because he was going to suffer, but for the very first time, God was going to experience death as a result of the sin that was placed upon him. And it wasn't just sin, it was the sins of the world that were placed upon him. The sins of the world that were placed upon him so that he could not only pay the price for them, but he could offer salvation for all who would believe in him as well. This is the ultimate gift. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourself. It's not a work which we can do. It's a gift from God. Now, I'm sure everybody here has exchanged gifts, got gifts, and all of those things, and you've opened them up, and I don't know if it's what you always wanted, but it's what you got this Christmas, and I'm sure you smiled if it was something you didn't want it, and you thanked the person and all. But nonetheless, we continue to move on. But this is the gift that has been given to all of humanity for all of eternity. It's the gift that continues to give, and we see it continuing to move in the lives of men and women. And today, we've got to see the reality of it. We have to find joy in it. We have, to re, re, we have to learn to recognize this and to continue to embrace all that God has done. God's brought you here for his reasons and his purposes and so many lives that are represented. But ultimately, the reason that we're all here is because of the love that God has displayed. Now, God not only has displayed this love, but he also asked that we would that we would display the love into this world. And so today, wherever it is that you go, whatever the things that are going on in your life, take the time to recognize that child. Look into the eyes of that child. Remember who he is and remember all that he has done and understand that he did that for you. He didn't so much do it for us all, but this is a personal God. This is a personal God who entered into your life do you remember the day that he entered into your life? Turn over and we'll close there in the Gospel of Luke. I talked about this on Thursday night a bit, and we looked at it this morning with the teachers. But there were some outcasts of society that they were out in the field just working their job as they did every other day, and something miraculous happened that day. In Luke chapter 2, verse 8, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. They were just going about their daily lives. And behold, or check it out, something unique is happening here. And it says, An angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Now an angel, you can also translate that. Now this is a literal angel, but you can also translate that messenger. And so these men, as they were going about their daily lives, some messenger entered into their lives. And as this messenger entered into their lives, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Why would they be greatly afraid? Well, angels, they've gotten some bad press or some inaccurate press. They're not those cute little naked cherub that fly around. Every time in the scriptures where you see an angel, it invokes terror in the heart of mankind. These are mighty warriors of God. And so there's that fear. Now, does that fear come from the angel? Well, more than likely, but also there's the glory of the Lord. And what does the glory of the Lord reveal? The glory of the Lord reveals who you are. You come to the knowledge of the sinner that you are as you're in the presence of, uh, of God's glory. And it's that which caused fear in their hearts as well. The angel then said to them, verse 10, Do not be afraid, for behold... 
I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all the people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so this messenger brought good tidings. What's the gospel called? The gospel is called the good news. You have that opportunity to be that messenger, that we would speak well of what Christ has done in our lives. That message that started 2,000 years ago, it wouldn't stop with us. That this Christmas, this celebration of the birth of Christ, this opportunity to look into the eyes of Christ, that we would embrace it and that we would reiterate it. What I mean by that is we would continue to take the message that we would have that opportunity to be an angel or to be a messenger in somebody else's life. And so, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. We saw last week, Merry meant prosperous. And where does our prosperity come from? It doesn't come in our bank account or in our wallet. It comes from a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That time when God displayed his great love to all of humanity that he sent his son. Father, once again, we just thank you, Lord, for this morning and this opportunity to gather together. And we just pray, Father, that you would show us the reality of who you are and, Lord, the purposes for why you came. And, Lord, we would embrace these things because we have been set free from the penalty of death. Back in the book of Philippians, we're told that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of the Father. And Lord, I pray that we would have hearts that would glorify you in everything that we do. And so just as we're able to look into a child and to hold that child today and see the great love that you have for humanity and the future that you have, it's all based upon that sending of a son so long ago. And so, Father, I pray for those who have come out today. I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would go before us, Father, in this day, that we would glorify you. I also pray for our brother Bill, Lord. I pray that you would touch him and that you would heal him and restore him back to full health. And so, Father, I just thank you, Lord, for this Christmas season and just the joy that exists. But also, Father, I pray for the knowledge of the work that is still set before us, that, Father, we would glorify you in all that we do, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please?